0: Hey, how are you? Hello. How you, how you doing?
1: I'm good. I had a
2: bit of a technical difficulty, but I made it.
0: Well, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. I'm I'm really honored to have the opportunity to interview you. Oh, thanks. Um, so I met you a couple of times before, but I just want to introduce myself briefly before I get into the interview. Um, I'm a counseling psychology PhD candidate at University of Akron. And oh. I learned I learned about your theory because I worked at Minority Behavioral Health Group as a counselor. Okay. And we only use optimal theory and BSA with clients there. So I really admire your theory and learned a lot about it. And I heard you come speak at the training. Yes. At Minority Behavioral Health Group. And so as I heard more about it, I was really happy to have a chance to talk to you and get to know more about your theory.
2: So, are you, where are you a doctoral candidate?
0: University of Akron. Oh, you're at
2: Akron.
1: Okay.
0: Yes. So, you know mm-hmm.
1: all my people.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm learning under Dr. John Queener, Dr. Suzette Spite, right. Dr. Tania Lodge, and Dr. Sierra Dennis Morgan. So, all of them have taught me about your theory.
2: Yes.
0: And you're at Ohio State right now, correct?
2: I am. Actually, I just retired, but I'm a professor emeritus.
0: Congratulations. Congrats. And are you still working with the foundation for the Center for Optimal Thought?
2: Uh, We're not really that active right now. I still do a lot of um, writing, research and consulting and lecturing, but that um, Center for Optimal Thought is in process. In fact, um, we'll probably be gearing up in the next several months.
0: OK, great, great. So to me and to all of us who worked at Minority Behavioral Health Group, Dr. Linda James Myers is a legend. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I'm really happy to have this opportunity. Uh, part of the reason why I wanted to interview you is, number one, to learn more about what I've read through your, through your own words, through your mouth. And also because I realize a lot of doctoral students don't even learn about your theory. So I want to help other people find out about your theory because I feel like it's so powerful and so some of the questions I want to get into the basics first before I go into some of the other questions um, so briefly can you give us an overview of optimal theory
2: sure I think I'll give you the context for its emergence the okay. um, context for emergence was my training as a clinical psychologist and then uh, going for um, my, um, you know, upon graduating, I, I was always concerned that um, the insanity of chattel enslavement wasn't seen <laughs> as insanity. And I also uh, was trying to figure out how could people behave so badly that they think it's okay <laughs> it actually <laughs> build a whole social structure or society around it uh so that was my first question really trying to understand systemic racism what's the mindset underpinning that and as i began to do that examination it was very clear to me that that cultural worldview as i would call it um was not part of my cultural heritage being of african and native american descent so um the theory emerged then as um a juxtaposition between uh societal isms we confront present day in this country and actually globally and an alternative cultural view that of which i had experiential knowledge so what the theory does is it essentially posits that contingent upon the philosophical assumptions and principles that are informing our way of doing the world um, those philosophical assumptions and principles really determine our perceptions our thoughts our feelings our behavior, ultimately our experience. And to the extent we've bought into those dominant in this society, we pretty much bought into the idea that reality itself is material phenomena. And as a material phenomena, the reality we are, uh, I will say socially engineered into is one that has us set up for a lot of mental health challenges from anxiety and depression Uh, prone to addiction, violence, all the things that we see so pervasive, greed and materialism, all the things that are so pervasive in this social context come based on the theory of optimal psychology from our faulty conceptual system. So much so that our own sense of identity and worth is grounded in external criteria or characteristics, like our looks, our income and position, our titles, our degrees, where we got them, all of those things not only become who we come to believe ourselves to be, but how good or bad we feel about ourselves. Of course, if we're Black, automatically those external criteria say we are inferior. Uh, To be Black is inferior, to be White is um, superior. And so that missocialization really sets us up for all kinds of challenges that our forebears fought for quite a long time. But as we become increasingly acculturated and assimilated into the dominant culture without access to the richness of our cultural heritage, then um, it's very problematic. So countering that socialization reality comes uh, what I call um, an optimal conceptual system that emerges from uh, a wisdom tradition of African deep thought. And that wisdom tradition is pretty much um, identifiable in classical African civilization, ancient Kemet or Egypt, and you can see it emerging from southern Africa, solidifying in um, the Nile Valley, uh, traveling west uh, to um, the Dogon people and all the people in western, in western Africa, and actually then gets transported across the Atlantic with us who were kidnapped in trafficked to the Americas as uh enslaved chattel. So the question for me there was, how in the world did we survive? (laughs) How do you survive, I mean, brutal dehumanization at every turn for generation after generation after generation and come out of that, not only with a modicum of sanity, but actually the moral and spiritual leaders of this nation. So that then uh, led me to do research into my own cultural heritage and background, which led, as I suggested earlier, to uh, the identification of what I'm calling the wisdom tradition of
0: African deep
2: thought.
0: Interesting. So, I mean, I'm on and on, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I soak it all up. I appreciate what you're saying. So, so part of what you're saying is the underlying philosophical perspectives in our culture lead to anxiety and depression and so on. Things that have been so normalized
2: absolutely set us up so much so that we expected you probably heard oh you should be a little stressed if you're doing anything very productive or meaningful no yeah. not really but that's what we're fed to kind of support us in pursuing um others over the cliff okay. and um so now we've come to a place in in a contemporary society where people should be able to see very clearly that the way we've been indoctrinated and missocialized into um, the worldview of our captors, I call it a suboptimal worldview, um, mm-hmm. is not only destructive to us as Black people, but it's destructive to the entire humanity. And it's brought us to the brink of destruction. Um, and certainly this nation is at a crossroads where we're going to either choose to pursue our higher level of consciousness, which would be a more optimal African-centered kind of way of viewing the world and being in the world, versus a suboptimal that leads to all those societal isms and uh, all kinds of violence and hatred, domestic and global. Um, it's just not humanly sustainable.
0: So these, this optimal theory, it contrasts a suboptimal worldview and an optimal worldview. Exactly. Can you explain what both of those worldviews look like?
2: Sure. So when I'm doing the world from the dominant socialization in this society, I'm being taught that my identity, why I'm as a human being, and my worth as a human being is based on materialism or external criteria because I've been taught that reality itself is essentially a material phenomenon. So in this social context, if you can't see it, taste it, taste it, hear it, and smell it, it doesn't exist. And there may be an aspect to... Um, human beingness, that is spiritual, but it's believed to be separate and secondary to the material aspect. That fragmented or fractured uh, ontological assumption about the nature of reality itself sets us up for the faulty uh, idea about our identity and worth. Because if you teach people, the only thing that's real or matters is the material aspect then naturally they're gonna, it follows that, therefore my worth, my identity as a human being is based on the material aspect. So that kind of sets us up and on the path to a lot of pain and suffering and also the societalisms because part of that paradigm or that conceptual system says, because what's really of value and important is the material aspects, we're gonna judge you by how much you've acquired in terms of material objects and that will be your basis of a worth and identity. And of course, again, being black or female or poor or all these other diversity mm-hmm. markers, we, which we said are not as good, leaves you not having the same ready access to material pie. So being then, uh, people come to believe that everything is about materialism or acquisition of object My worth and identity is about how I look, what I wear, what I drive, (laughs) uh, my income, my position. And therefore, if I have a designer outfit, say I am somebody, somebody else has it, I'm depressed, I get a promotion, I'm really feeling good, I get laid off, I'm suicidal, that perpetual flux in terms of one's sense of self is also very problematized. And now what we're seeing with uh, finally the acknowledgement of the pandemic of systemic racism, as well as the COVID virus pandemic, people are really suffering, but all these things come as an opportunity for us to see clearly, opportunity for our growth. So that's kind of the suboptimal side. That's the reality we've all been indoctrinated in and just assume it's true and don't probably even know there's any other way of being in the world. But um, in examining our ancestors, who I consider to be the miracles of modern time, we say clearly they didn't see the world in that way. Otherwise you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. (laughs) We wouldn't even be here along with Mm -hmm. millions of other non-immigrant Africans in in the Americas. So we saw the world such that as our ancestors saw it, we knew reality was essentially a spiritual phenomenon. Mm -hmm. All is spirit, all is energy, all is mind, all is consciousness. And as that energy slows down, as human beings, we have the capacity to appercept or perceive what we can see, touch, taste, hear, and smell. But what we see, touch, taste, hear, and smell is not causal. It's actually a manifestation of the spiritual aspect. Now, what's interesting about this, Aaron, is that that same conclusion that our ancestors came to thousands of years ago is now being come to By so called Western science through quantum Mm -hmm. uh, physics and science and neuroscience and certainly it's been supported by Eastern philosophy so what we have now is a convergence of knowledge across cultural groups at which we as people acknowledging African ancestry are at the cultural forefront. Yeah, because of the oppression process, we've been denied access to that knowledge. We don't even know it's our knowledge. So we're going finding it here and mm-hmm. there, and everyone thinks, Oh, <laughs> this is great. Mindfulness, oh, that's wonderful. Oh my god, yoga, oh my God. And yes. all of these things actually come from our wisdom tradition
1: of African deep thought.
0: Whenever I hear you talk, something that really sticks out to me is how you view every situation. And so just now you said the COVID and the awareness of racism that is becoming more prevalent, you view these as opportunities. Yeah, and yeah. you also talked about how you looked at how did our ancestors survive? And that led you to the question that led to this, the development of this theory. So all of these tragic situations that can be looked at as devastating mm-hmm. or bad, you see the opportunity in this and see yeah. how we can build on that.
2: That's exactly what our ancestors had to do, isn't it? You didn't, if we were gonna make it, we had to have a mindset that allowed us to transcend the immediacy. Mm -hmm. If I'm an African woman enslaved and being raped night after night, I can't just focus on how horrific this is. I have to have a mindset that allows me to transcend so that first of all, I give birth to that baby. Sorry if it's sold away and know in time, that child, that extension of me will rise and come back to triumph. Mm -hmm. And if you just know that, Mm -hmm. as our ancestors knew that, here we are. So to the extent we understand that optimal worldview, we see that the only reason so-called negativity is allowed Mm -hmm. in human experience is a good reason. It's the opportunity for our growth and edification. That's the only thing that would make sense if we believe in an omnipotent, omniscient, Mm -hmm. omnipresent, creative life force, whose nature is love. That all-knowing force wouldn't allow negativity if it was negative. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when we we go back to the wisdom tradition and understand the purpose of negativity and its role in human experience, then we can master the lessons that so-called negativity has come to teach. Mm -hmm. And come back to our true knowledge of self, stronger, more confident, more capable, more filled with Black joy and Mm -hmm. uh, sustainable well-being.
0: I remember when you spoke at um, Minority Behavioral Health at the training and you said either we believe there is this omnipotent, omniscient force that is God. Either we believe that God is in control or God is not. And so when we see all these things going on, we have to, if we do believe that God is in control, such as our ancestors did, then we have to find a way to make sense of it and rely on purpose for it.
2: Absolutely true. And unlike the Western cultural worldview and mindset, uh, where nothing's really knowable, even their scientific model based on the myth of objectivity,
1: uh, Mm -hmm. you
2: know, this being a a doctoral kid. (laughs) What does the scientific literature say? Oh, we need more research. We, this is what we've seen so far, but we need more research. Mm-hmm. Now, from an African-centered optimal view, all life is about wisdom. Wisdom is reason illuminated by science or careful observation. So if you've been a cultural around for thousands of years and you have codified uh, everything in a, a worldview that says, hmm, In fact, uh, there's an ancient um, prophet or sage Tahuti who says, chance is a law unrecognized. There's no such thing as chance or coincidence. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how serious our ancestors were about figuring it out. Now, that doesn't mean that we will, in this body, know everything. No, Mm -hmm. because knowledge is infinite. So as soon as we know all this, then there's always more and more and more. But Mm -hmm. the reality is that uh, we cannot and did not as African people survive 400 years of chattel enslavement or its variation by, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's Amen. not knowable. You Amen. better know something, <laughs> even Amen. if it's just, it appears as though there is this creative life force, source energy, God, goddess, the most high supreme being, <laughs> infinite, whatever name you want to assign to it, there is this force that is extant and the characteristics that seem to be true Mm -hmm. and make the most sense is that this supreme being, this power is everywhere, all-knowing and all-powerful. So from that premise, then we can move because as human beings, we can't control what happens to us all the time. Mm -hmm. We just can't. But what we can always control it's how we make sense of it, what we believe about it, how we respond to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so that is the optimal worldview, is this spiritual view that this creator or this conscious or this energy is in control of everything and it's all for a reason and making sense.
2: And it is it's, it is within me and I am within it. There's not a separation. So that whole Western approach to spirituality, uh, oftentimes codified in religion, doesn't really fit. There's not a God up here, me down here, I need an intermediary somehow to communicate with this divine force. No. Mm -hmm. The force is in me. I'm within it. I can communicate at any time. And indeed, there are other spirit forces like those loved ones who have passed into the sweet beyond, they would say, Mm -hmm. also can work on my behalf. So that worldview that we've been taught to demonize, to fear, to think is inferior, actually is the salvation of humankind.
0: Interesting. And and as I read your book, you talked about how Christ means anointed one and one who was elevated. And when a person elevates their consciousness to a certain level, they become one with the divine. And that same teaching is in Other religions, other prophets and so on, whether it's Muhammad or Buddha, you hear the same teaching. Can you say more about this elevated consciousness to one with the divine?
2: So within the wisdom tradition of African historically, our purpose in being is to come to realize our conscious union with the divine, with the great infinite, whatever word we want to use. That's why Mm -hmm. we're here. And we'll get the opportunity because life isn't linear, but circular and cyclic we'll get the opportunity to come back again and again and again <laughs> until mm-hmm. we master uh, that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So we know in Christendom, Jesus the Christ had mastered that and therefore he was given the title, the Christ. But mm-hmm. uh, the, th- the same things Jesus the Christ taught, almost every sage that has walked mm-hmm. the planet has taught, which is uh, the divine is within. We're within the divine that our, relationship to it can be developed and expanded as we take on um, what I can call a higher consciousness versus mm-hmm. function out of the lower consciousness, which is that suboptimal consciousness that keeps us tied down to uh, the materialistic aspects of being.
0: Interesting. Um, and so before you you had, when I read your book, you talked about God is everything. And anything that is not God is an illusion and in time it will dissipate. And evil is an illusion and it has no power except the power that we give it, which I thought was so powerful. And I feel like as I hear you talk, you explained a lot of what I read in the book in that sense. So it makes a lot more sense to me as you talk. You also mentioned that every thought that is repetitious.
2: Can I make one point though, just so that
1: those
0: listeners
2: don't get confused. So when, when we say all is uh, this creative life force energy that mm-hmm. is positive, that doesn't mean there aren't things in this totality that exist for our edification and growth. So that means um, there are certain principles we have to attend to, tend to like the principle of complementarity. Uh, The principle, uh, everything has um, uh, gender characteristics, the masculine and the feminine. So there are features of this totality that are universal and true. And the reason I want to insert that is because I don't want people thinking, oh, well, she's saying there's no negative. Oh no, (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) we need to look around today and (laughs) see, the lying, the cheating, the exploitation, the stealing, the misrepresentation, the racism. I mean, all of those things mm-hmm. are very real. They're part of their totality. What we're saying is, although those, although those things are real and apart, they don't have more power than we do.
0: I see, I see. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, saying... go ahead.
2: Because that force within us mm-hmm as ultimate mastery and the mastery comes from mastering ourselves as i suggested earlier on i can't control what happens to me Mm -hmm. but more can i control how i feel about it and how i think about it and therefore how i experience it
0: makes sense i think it's so powerful even hearing you talk to understand that this powerful force that energy that is consciousness that is god is in us and once we realize that we have a different kind of power and how we move through this experience in the physical.
2: Yes, so I've been blessed to be able to study with some of the most brilliant um, African healers, Credo uh, Mutwa and Tata Fukiao, and so many who've taught the same things in different kinds of ways. But the reality is, um, there is this force of which we are part, and we can access it at any time. And we can utilize, we can rest in it. We can rest in it, much like it's taught in Christendom. But we can rest in it because we know that ultimately we are spirit beings having a human experience. And the nature of that human experience is to master lessons for our growth and elevation to conscious union with that force.
0: I also read in your book how you said every thought that is repetitious, strong, and full of powerful emotion, over time, it kind of creates a groove in the brain,
1: yes. and if
0: blood flows in a certain pattern, over time, more cells grow in that area and fewer cells in a different area.
1: Yes.
0: Um, can you expand upon that and how that connects to the spiritual and the physical being?
2: Sure. So if we think of all being energy, all being spirit and we think of um, even our bodies and our brains. So um, at some level, thoughts are things that are spiritual, but they are um, manifest in a physical body, in a physical brain that has particular patterns of function. So one of the reasons we as human beings oftentimes have such difficulty getting out of bad habits or having negative thoughts, keep coming back over, even though we fought it through, we thought we were done, and here it comes back. It's because we've worn a groove <laughs> in our blood flow and brain so that we're, anything that is reminding us of whatever that is that we don't want to think about <laughs> the minute it hits, it's now going to go through that um, neurological pattern that has been woven into our brain. The good news is change the thoughts, change the grooves. Wow. (laughs) And it will become easier over time. So that that same trigger or stimulus that would have immediately sent us into a severe depression, now we say, Oh no, no, not today. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And we no longer allow ourselves to be immersed in that same wavelength, that same brain patterning that leads to uh, all those negative feelings.
0: Wow. As you speak of that, I think it really highlights the power of thought.
2: Oh, yes. (laughs) All is mind as Tahuti or Tha says. Mm -hmm. And mind is more than the brain, though. We have to be mindful of that. Mm
0: -hmm. Can you say a little bit more about that?
2: Sure. The Western worldview, with its materialist fragmented world (laughs) (laughs) thinking. thinks of mind as being the brain in this body. But mind far exceeds this body. In fact, it far exceeds the brain. We're finally now coming to the realization that we have what the ancients called the ib, the heart mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So probably more powerful in driving the quality of our experience isn't the intellectual thoughts as much as it is our feelings. So... If feelings, if the heart-mind are connected, mm-hmm. and now we know the gut also <laughs> plays into, um, a lot of people say, oh, I felt it in my gut.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: all of that's connected to the brain. All that's connected to our thinking. So if we have good thoughts, then we're going to be more prone to kick in those endorphins that will give us the good feeling. And... Um, allow us to stay on a certain vibration that's going to be positive if we have negative thoughts if we have fear if we're in the fight or flight oh dear we just thrown the circuit off and now we're (laughs) going to have all the negative energies which are emotionally fear anger um disappointment shame guilt all those feelings become drivers which are now gonna impact how our brain and our, um, uh, let's see, uh, electromagnetic system is gonna function. And there will be physiological consequences in terms of the hormones that our body is releasing. And all of this is gonna be interconnected uh, and interdependent. So thoughts are things and they're very powerful. Interesting.
0: I think that provides a good transition into talking about belief systems analysis, which is the cognitive therapy um, aligned with optimal theory. So can you give us a brief overview of belief systems analysis?
2: Sure, I can. So once I um, developed this theory of human development that is grounded in the wisdom tradition of African thought that says. um, Depending upon one's conceptual system the philosophical assumptions and principles shaping the way one views the world. If it's of Western socialization leading to the materialist frag- fragmented uh, orientation or the optimal African wisdom tradition orientation, our experiences will be different. So then the question becomes, well, uh, if we're gonna be healthy, if we're gonna be healed, is there, is there a way to move from the suboptimal to the optimal. It's a way to change my conceptual system. And therefore, belief systems analysis becomes a psychotherapeutic or psychoeducational approach designed to help people shift from the worldview of missocialization into the faulty, uh, fragmented suboptimal way of thinking to uh, the wisdom traditions optimal view, a more optimal and holistic way of thinking. So the first step in belief systems analysis and that I write about in the book. My first book is we have to examine what those assumptions and principles are that are going to inform our conceptual system. Because depending on what those assumptions are, not only, as I said before, our perceptions informed, also how we think about them, how we feel about them, what we do. Ultimately, mm-hmm. our experience is informed. So it's very important to be conscious and mindful of what those philosophical assumptions and principles are. Edward Nichols, a brilliant African-American psychologist. So really instrumental in terms of informing what the Eurocentric um, view is that we've been missocialized into. And so belief systems analysis is helping people take a look at their assumptions. What is it they're believing is true about reality? Is it essentially a material phenomenon or is it essentially a spiritual material phenomenon about mm-hmm. how one knows? Is knowledge external or is knowledge um, beyond the external? Do what, Can we know only through counting and measuring or can we know through symbolic imagery and rhythm? What's the value? Is only material things of value or are uh, spiritual things, relationships of highest value. So we go through a list of different assumptions that people hold, either they're whether they're conscious of them or not, and help people look at those assumptions and determine which are which they believe is true. And if they decide, you know, I see very clearly how I've been socialized into the fragmented suboptimal set of assumptions but i'd really like to switch to the optimal i really would like to see myself as intrinsically worthy which Mm -hmm. is what i would believe if i'm using an optimal view i really i really do believe that uh, the spiritual aspect of being is more important i really do believe highest value is in in interpersonal relationships and um i really believe the optimal side the method and process then or shifting from the suboptimal to the optimal is belief systems analysis. And that process is one of first determining what it is you believe is true. If you believe the optimal set of assumptions and true, then we can set you up um, and help you learn a process. I call it the optimization process, whereby you engage in a self-correcting, self-perpetuating um, cyclic process where you Master the lessons you brought into your experience and come back clearer and stronger to the truth of who you are. Let me give you a, an example. Um, I had a client once who was a woman who was in an abusive relationship. And of course, um, she wasn't that uncommon. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the things that she believed is, oh, I just love him so. And I just, you know, I just, i just have to be with this person and um so we talked about why she felt she had to be with this person um because and it turns out it was because she thought without him she was nothing Hmm. he was the basis for her feeling good about about herself and her, her worth and ultimately also not feeling good about her own self so basically what i try to do is help her see Well, how would you respond to this abuse if you really felt good about yourself? What -hmm. if you thought you were the most desirable woman on the planet? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Would you still accept that kind of behavior? Obviously the answer was no, Uh, but she didn't see herself as the most desirable woman on the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, But as we began to explain and interrogate this optimal view, she began to see herself as intrinsically worthy Mm -hmm. of value. She didn't have to judge herself by someone else's notion of what beauty was or intelligence or excellence was. She could really come to a place where she could define reality for herself. And as she began to engage in that process, she began to think, you know, I don't have to deal with this. Mm You know, I can still love this person. They just got to be over there. So <laughs> <But laughs> right. they can't be in my sphere. So a belief systems analysis is a process whereby you're really helping people see the relationship between what they're assuming is true
1: mm-hmm. and
2: how that's impacting their perceptions, thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Introducing another competing paradigm of what they could be assuming is true. And help walk them through what would your perception what would your thoughts, your feelings, your experience be if you really believe this? And then we introduce um, the optimization process, which I can talk about but don't have to at this point, um, or the heart feather strategy, or there's many um, tools that we can and methods that we can use to help people make that transition. But belief systems analysis um, overall is really uh, coming to us um, with the intention of helping people switch their worldview, their conceptual system. And part of the impetus for that too, Erin, is um, as I thought about how the European enslavers Mm -hmm. put a lot of energy into taking control of the African mind, because if we were able to keep our own cultural frame in mind totally, we weren't good slaves. We couldn't be, (laughs) yeah, that that didn't work. So a lot of energy was put into taking control of the African mind. And the way they did that was through terrorism. Make the oppressed person or the enslaved person believe their survival was in the hands of the captor. Uh, Denying us access to the truth of our history and culture negating our history and culture, elevating their history and culture, and then dividing and conquering, pitting us against one another by color, by gender, age, you name it. Hmm. And then rewarding those people who would do the captor's bidding Hmm. with extra material things. That model was so successful, it hasn't changed. Wow. It's still in place today. We're still believing or socialized to believe that our physical well-being, now we call it our success, is in the hands of we don't call them our captors, the man, the system.
1: <clears throat>
2: we still are denied access to the truth of our history and culture. It's still negated. That of the dominant European group is still elevated and divide and conquer is still a very, very useful strategy. So <laughs> if we reverse the psychology oppression process, then we can take control of our minds once more Mm -hmm. and therefore liberate ourselves, liberate our minds. We liberate our minds by really seeing that, you know, my success, my material well-being isn't in anybody's hands. It's actually in the hands of the most high, in the hands of that creative life force within which I am one. And it gives that force great pleasure to see me do and achieve that which I desire. So we can reverse that first step in the oppression process. Nobody now can deny us access to the truth of our history and culture. I mean, there's there's so many things now written and books and um, movies, mm-hmm. all kinds of information that let us know the truth about our history and culture. The problem is, We have to be able to develop the 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 capacity to discern true from untrue, because we don't, one lie is not any better than another. (laughs) We really need that discernment. Um, We no longer have to accept the negation of our history and culture. We now know that as African people, we are at least 6,000 years ahead of the European, even though on a track, say it's the race, the human race, we may appear to be behind. We're actually coming up and lapping those who appear to be ahead of us by nice. 6,000 years, if we know the truth of our history and culture. So, belief systems analysis is that psychotherapeutic psychoeducational approach designed to overcome the psychology oppression process and reacquaint us with the truth of who we really are and how things really work so that we can achieve health and sustainable well-being.
1: Great.
0: Thank you. That was very powerful. So a few following, a few concepts I was introduced to as I was introduced to belief system analysis. Self-knowledge, extended self-identity, holistic worldview, intrinsic self-worth, diunital logic, and spiritual development. So if you wouldn't mind, I would like if you would just give me a brief definition of each of these concepts as, as I ask them sure, um, sure. And, and what you meant by them. So self-knowledge, the first one, mm. you said self-knowledge is the basis of all knowledge.
1: Yes.
0: So I, I really would like to hear your explanation of that
2: so uh from an optimal view self isn't this individual form that we believe it to be from the suboptimal view of the west from an optimal view self is multi-dimensional inclusive of the ancestors those Mm. who came before future generations all of nature and community so my sense of self is multi-dimensional so that is important because if you're going to say self-knowledge is the basis of all knowledge, you don't want people thinking, oh, this individual form is the basis okay. of all knowledge. No. That multi-dimensional true self that you are, is, mm-hmm. that knowledge of that self is the basis of all knowledge. And, and so knowledge of that self is inherently going to be inclusive of that divine spirit force. Mm-hmm. So as we pursue knowledge, true knowledge of ourself that self with a capital S, mm-hmm. not the little S, <laughs> uh-huh. then we really do get in touch with the basis of all knowledge. When you know yourself, you know all things, is what they said.
0: Mm-hmm. So that speaks to the interconnectedness yes. of all life. Great, and, and so I think that takes to the next um, definition, extended self-identity which you kind of explained in that one, but. Yeah.
2: so my identity is more than just um, when I was born, when I die, because we don't know when life begins and nor do we know when death comes. Uh, we brain dead, our heart stops what, <laughs> conception, actual birth, what. So we don't want our identity to be individual form we want that extended multi-dimensional sense of identity and mm-hmm. my extended self is extended because that spirit force within which i am and which is within me is in all things mm-hmm. and when i am there and consciously connecting and experiencing that unity uh I have will be experiencing what we call unity consciousness. And talk about a sense of peace mm-hmm. and well-being and awesomeness that enjoy that brings you uh, that awareness, that extended self, then is not capable of just uh, individualistic, competitive, materialistic orientation that extended self has to be very much communalistic, very much concerned about um, not just me, but the totality, knowing that we're all interrelated and all interdependent. Mm-hmm. Powerful, very powerful.
0: Yeah. So holistic worldview?
2: Yes. Um, to the extent we have been socialized or missocialized into seeing the world as uh, fragmented, because we've separated the spiritual aspect of being from the material, then um, our worldview is no longer holistic. It's fragmented and fractured. Therefore, when you have a fragmented, fractured worldview, you don't see the interrelatedness and interdependence of things. You think that, well, if I can do this for myself and do it based on the exploitation, and manipulation of others, I'll be good, they'll be bad, but that's okay, it won't affect me. That's Mm. not true. (laughs) But that's the way we see the world because our worldview isn't holistic and it's not integrative. From an optimal view, where we see the spiritual aspect as being proactive and primary, we see, oh, all things are interrelated. All things are interdependent. I am actually interrelated and interdependent spirit being with all other spirit beings. Therefore, I do not want to send out anything that I don't want to come back because it's coming back. (laughs) Um, Sometimes we make bad choices. Sometimes uh, things come to us, not because of anything we did, but the lessons for more than just us. But the main thing we want to do from a holistic, integrative perspective is make sure our intentions are good. We want to make sure that our hearts can be light as a feather when weighed on the scale of eternal truth. And this isn't something that we just want to do at death. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We want to do it daily as we make decisions on a daily basis. Again, we're not always going to make the best decision in retrospect, but if our intention is good, our outcome will ultimately be good.
0: Listening to you talk is is so powerful and inspiring. I just wanted to interject that as as what I felt at the moment. Um, Intrinsic self-worth?
2: Yes. So from an optimal view, my worth, because it is based on being divine spirit, and one with the spirit force, I'm worthy simply because I am. Not because of how I look, not because of the education, income, position I have. I'm worthy simply because I am the individual and unique expression of a creative life force. There'll never be another me. Hmm. I am so special. Powerful but I'm not special because of external criteria. Hmm. I am intrinsically worthy and special. And therefore I'm obligated to represent that creative life divine force to the best of my ability.
0: Wow, powerful. Di-unido logic?
2: Yes again in this social context we're taught to reason well either this is true or that is true they both can't be true (laughs) from a suboptimal view they're right but from an optimal view we reason differently we reason both this is true and that is true at the same time depending on our perspective so that um Deontological logic allows us to see it's not ever either or our conclusion should not be either or our co- conclusion should always be both and I'm or but and because in any circumstance um, let's just think about the um the idea of um As we look at this pin in my hand, we would think, ah, assuming my hand's not shaking because I'm nervous, the pin is not moving, right? Mm-hmm. But in actuality, while that's true, it's also not true because we know from a subatomic level, there are protons whirling around in this pin at speeds up to 40,000 miles per second. Wow. So we would get it wrong if we had an either or. Uh-huh. Both, both end reasoning allows us to see, well, from one perspective, it's true, it's not moving. But from another uh-huh. perspective, it's so not true, it's not moving. Diunital
0: logic. And your examples are so powerful, too. So <laughs> thanks for that. Spiritual development?
2: Yes. Yeah, so in this social context, we focus on material development. The problem with that is it's not sustainable.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable because uh, as sure as we're born, we will transition into death. As they would say, we would say we would transform into another phase of life. Mm-hmm. But um, the idea of um, a spirit, being a spiritual being informs us that the I the um what do I want to say? Ask the question again because I lost my thought.
0: Um spiritual development
2: and we we'll oh, just... spiritual development okay mm-hmm. thank you. So the idea that um I am a spirit being and my purpose in being is to come to realize my conscious union with the divine infinite and to master the lessons I've created or have been brought into my experience this time to develop me to the place I realized that conscious union. So spiritual development from an optimal view is development towards the conscious realization of union with the divine infinite. So the idea is in the wisdom tradition of African deep thought, we choose when we're going to come back who we're gonna come back through, where we're gonna come back, all based on the lessons we'll need to master in this cycle to achieve our greatest edification and elevation. That process is what we call
0: spiritual development. Interesting. That's very powerful, just to to let that sink in. Um, So, and these are the things that we teach through belief systems analysis as we're helping people move from a suboptimal view to a more optimal worldview? Yes,
1: because um,
2: belief systems analysis is predicated on moving from lower consciousness, which is a materialistic, to higher consciousness, which is the spiritual aspect. So um, as human beings, we all have the capacity to function either out of our lower consciousness, which is that material body oriented uh, way of being in the world to a higher consciousness where those um, values and um, teachings that we all know but kind of like oh it's not that important it is that important so spiritual development allows us to really elevate ourselves and to illuminate our souls as we
0: would say Mm -hmm. and you said in your book that belief systems analysis is a transpersonal therapy. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what you meant by that?
2: Sure. Most um, In Western psychology, there is a school of thought that they just discovered, <laughs> maybe <laughs> 20 years ago, 50 years ago, called transpersonal. And what, that's their Western psychology's first um, dabble into an awareness that there's something beyond the person. Mm-hmm. There's a transpersonal aspect of being, a spiritual aspect of being, which you will, that they have just begun to investigate. So if I wanted to think about optimal psychology within a Western frame, I would have to acknowledge it's a transpersonal psychology, not limited to individual mm-hmm. form of the person.
1: Interesting.
0: And I mentioned earlier that I was trained in optimal theory and a, a therapist who use belief systems analysis. And I was trained that as a therapist using this form of treatment, you also endorse this worldview yourself. It's not just something that you're teaching the client. Can you explain um, the impact and benefits of the therapist also endorsing this worldview?
2: Absolutely. Um, Again, that Western model and worldview is fragmented. Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: I can teach and say all kinds of things and do something else. (laughs) (laughs) And never the twain shall meet. From an optimal view, from the view of optimal psychology, no. Don't be sitting there trying to help me or tell me what you (laughs) and then you're over here doing something crazy. No. So by nature, belief systems analysis and optimal psychology requires that you develop yourself just as I'm developing myself. And you're sharing with me what you come to not believe, but come to know. Um, I always say um, from a holistic optimal view, I can't separate my theory from my practice. My theory is my practice. Mm. In Western psychology, you can separate your theory. From
1: my
2: <laughs> no, not in an African-centered optimal belief systems analysis model. My theory has to become my practice. And simply because... What I'm teaching has to be what I know. Mm-hmm. And if if I don't know it, know it, know it, at least if I'm consciously and deliberately in the process of coming to know. clients mm-hmm. pick that up. They say, hmm, what's going on there? I think I, <laughs> think I like that. I like that everything, I like that. Too. So basically we're growing together. We're building community together. Interesting.
0: And so that is definitely different than the, the perspective of therapy that the Western world is taught. So we're growing together is the process in um, BSA and optimal theory.
2: Absolutely, because as long as I'm back here in a body, <laughs> I've got lessons. <laughs> and hopefully I'm mastering those lessons, and hopefully I can share what processes.
1: But mm-hmm. at least
2: I can share with the other human beings the process that I know can carry them to sustainable well-being.
0: Interesting. And something else that interests me is we talked about how we can help particular clients with this perspective. What are some ways that we can impact the community at large with um, optimal theory? Because I believe it, it really is powerful when it's exposed, but what are some ways we can touch the community to help them operate on a more optimal level?
2: Collectively? Yes. I think the key again is, how can I say this? As human beings, all is energy. We're all vibrating.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um, so if our hearts and our consciousness is trying to uplift and illuminate the soul, Mm -hmm. then when we come into the presence of others, they're gonna feel that and they're gonna want to know how they too can grow and achieve. Interestingly, the time we are just in terms of cosmically, Mm -hmm. we're at a time when it's gonna be about the collective It's not enough for me just as an individual to know and grow. I need to help share what I know so you can share what you know and whoever can share what they know. And then when we all come together, boy, we really can go and grow and accomplish some things. So um, the idea that um, we have a process that's totally an individual Mm -hmm. No, as human beings, none of us got here by ourselves. It took at least two. And that collective becomes family and community. And so when we understand that and we see the interrelatedness and interdependence of all things, we can see. What I'm interested in is really the collective good. Mm -hmm. Just like I really, really, really want to be anti-racism. I also want to be anti-classism. And anti sexism. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because all of those negative things that we as human beings put out there and do to one another and try to diminish one another, they're not good. They're not healthy. They're Mm -hmm. not going to get us as a humanity off this precipice.
0: Wow, powerful. And one thing I noticed as I talked to you is that you live this. You live this world, you live this theory. And so I, I can see that energy comes off of you, which I think is very powerful. As you as you um talk about this theory, it is definitely different than how psychology is commonly taught in this country and in this um, you know, the Western world. You talked about psychology is is problemized as a field that serves the interests of the dominant group instead of the greater good in society in a paper that you wrote with Dr. Spike. And um, part of of reading that made me want to ask the question, when you developed this theory and presented it, did you experience resistance? And if so, how did you respond to that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, By the time I developed the theory i I was real clear <laughs> about who I was mm-hmm. and who others were, and I knew i was I knew my allegiance had to be on to be on purpose. My allegiance had to be about representing spirit forces that sent me here that I came to represent so um, aware of who I was, where I was, and how I got here, I just had to resist being mm. caught up in the illusions that were in other people's minds. In fact, I used to tell my clients, you can't be concerned about what crazy people think. Wow. <laughs> and what I meant by that was, if someone's totally caught up in that fragmented suboptimal view,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, from my clinical standpoint, they're not healthy. They're not... They might be insane. I don't know. <laughs> I can't be concerned about that. Mm -hmm. What I have to be concerned about is my multidimensional self and being true to that and representing those spirit forces on whose behest I am here.
0: Wow. And so your sense of purpose and your connection to the the greater was more powerful than any limitations or illusions or fears of, resistance that could confront you at that time.
2: Yes, but I. But in all fairness, I should say, there's a cost. Mm-hmm. There's a cost to being counterculture. Mm-hmm. There's a cost to introducing competing paradigms. People don't like competing paradigms, mm-hmm. <laughs> particularly when it's uh, one that's designed to dismiss those societalisms, racism, sexism, classism, because Mm -hmm. some people enjoy the privilege and benefits of racism sexism classism so there'll 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 be attacks those people who are in a position who feel they can do something to diminish your success do it but Mm -hmm. it doesn't diminish your success because your success is not contingent upon them wow yeah your success is really not contingent upon them they can do what they do it'll be fine You'll be fine. Clearly, that's in the
0: spirit our ancestors had. Otherwise, they wouldn't have. Powerful, powerful. Um, I-, I wanted to ask another question about something that I read in your in your book. And you said, consider that you, through your consciousness, ascribe all meaning to the objects within your environment. Can you perceive and identify the natural energy? that flows between all that is. Practice this in order to enlighten your experience through an awareness of perceptual alternatives. The results may surprise you." Mm-hmm. Can you explain what, what you were saying then?
2: Sure. Um, as I move to a place where I'm really pursuing my true identity, my intrinsic worth, my, the multidimensional nature of myself, Mm -hmm. then I can come into environments. For example, nature is very key. Nature is an extension of me. I love to be out in nature. I love to uh, let nature inform because it's always bringing me signs and symbols and reinforcements that I need as I learn to read and interpret nature. So in um, the Zulu tradition, Kreda teaches that in their cultural frame after a human we go to bird after bird we become stars so i've learned to attend a lot to birds (laughs) as birds come into um uh, uh, my environment or my experience i always salute them (laughs) as uh, so i develop rituals and practices that affirm the reality That I am supported by. Tata Fukiao Tata Simba Simbi. Hold up that which holds you up. Hold up that which holds you up.
0: Wow. Powerful. You also wrote a really amazing meditation book, Blessed Assurance.
2: Yes. Before we can go on to that, there's one thing I didn't add when we were talking about Um, the response of the profession or people to optimal psychology. mm
1: -hmm.
2: But I want to throw it in because I think it's important. If you move to an optimal view, and most people are coming from a suboptimal view, you will be misunderstood. (laughs) Mm. Because the only frame of reference people have to make sense of you is what's true for them. Wow. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so I, I didn't want us to leave without calling people's attention to that. Because sometimes people think, well, as I become more optimal, everybody will see it and you know it'll all be good. Uh, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. As I become more optimal, some who have eyes to see and ears to hear will see it and it will all be good, but there'll be those people who are very much trapped in the suboptimal. They may not even know they're mm-hmm. trapped, but they won't get me, so to speak, they because whatever I do, they're gonna make sense of it based on their fragmented suboptimal mm-hmm. view, when I'm actually moving from a totally different set of assumptions and view. I just wanted to throw that out because when that happens, it can't be a detractor. It Mm. has to be, again, an opportunity. We have to still be able to move forward knowing, you know, in time, they'll see. Mm. They have to, because everybody has to grow. Either you're gonna grow or die. (laughs) So in time, inshallah, as they would say, uh, in Islam, they will come to see and come to know and come to understand. And I've even found that to be true in terms of the development of the theory of optimal psychology. When it first uh, developed it, um, you know, people, it was well received by a certain population.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But even then, I, uh, 15 years later, I got messages from people who said, oh, I just love optimal psychology, but I didn't really know what you were saying or talking about And Now I really get it. So it's a developmental kinds of process, and we just have to be accepting and mindful of that.
0: I'm sorry. I no, no problem. I appreciate it. I appreciate the wisdom that you're given. And so you would suggest, as far as early career professionals or students or so on, to be courageous in, in the truth and in their purpose, despite the systems that they may be moving through that don't see it that way?
2: Absolutely. Think about it this way, Erin. Following Western psychology, we are on the brink of disaster. We just had people, the masses in this country, elect someone as president who was absolutely mad. Pathological liar, narcissist. I mean, just crazy, literally, certifiably crazy. And he's leading this nation (laughs) and millions of people are following him and continue to follow him. Now, if that doesn't wake you up and think, okay, something's wrong here, (laughs) I don't know what will. Mm-hmm. So, if you weren't convinced before, hopefully you are waking up and becoming mindful now. You know what they're doing here? Uh, not working. It's not going to work. It can't work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. It can only do and produce what is what is done. So we need to shift. We need another way of being, thinking, um, functioning in the world, so that we can help bring humanity back from the brink. We have totally polluted the environment, put holes in the ozone, affected climate. The food is carcinogenic, the water is carcinogenic. (laughs) uh, Now we have a virus that some say is actually um, biological warfare gone awry. (laughs) And now we have a vaccine that actually isn't a vaccine. If we think about vaccine being something that'll prevent you from getting disease So far, these vaccines are treatments that will hopefully keep you from being so sick and dying should you get the disease. So a lot of craziness is just swarming around us and people can't breathe. Wow. It's a setup. So the very things we as human beings need are now being denied. We're social human beings, but we're told we can't be social.
1: Wow.
2: <laughs> right. uh, we're told, although I'm wearing my mask when I need to and I'm social distancing, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm at wearing a mask, I'm actually breathing in the air. My body struggled so hard to get out of my body back mm-hmm. in. I mean, we right. so just have to think, we have to learn to think critically, we have to learn to think deeply, we have to learn to question, and then we have to have the courage to move on what spirit has told us, Mm -hmm. move on how we're being led and informed. And again, don't get me wrong on this, I'm not saying don't wear your mask, don't do all those things you feel are gonna be helpful. Even take a vaccine if you think that's best thing for you, but please, please, please don't do these things without first thinking for yourself deeply, Mm -hmm. critically, looking at the big picture of what's going on, what has gone on, how things work in this social context. As I used to say, follow the money. That'll be very helpful <laughs> in terms of trying to figure out what's really going on. And a holistic integrative mindset that optimal psychology presents allows us to do that, as opposed to a Western psychological orientation that has us looking at minutiae while the world goes to hell in a handbasket, as they would say. No. So long answer to your question, we don't have a choice,
1: Mm.
2: but to have the courage to follow the path of our ancestors. And the salvation of humanity, much less the heart and soul of America is dependent on us. Wow!
0: And what you're saying is so powerful. But what makes it even more powerful is that I can see that you live it. That you're a living example of what you're saying. So we really appreciate that as you, from you as a leader, who is who's been a great or is a great example for us. So thanks. Um, I, I was asking about your meditation book. You have you wrote this really amazing meditation book called Blessed Assurance. And um, I wanted to ask, why is meditation so important or beneficial?
2: Mm-hmm. Actually, I called it a meditation, but because as um, I was talking about optimal theory and, and shifting from a suboptimal to an optimal view and talking about spiritual development, people would always ask me, well, Dr. Mars, what can what can I do to develop myself spiritually? Mm-hmm. And uh Blessed Assurance came to me, these meditations. Uh, 52 meditations, meditate on one for a week. By the end of the year, you will have achieved an elevation by guarantee. Because um, how I came to the meditations, do you have time for this backstory? Yes. Okay. So when I first developed a theory of optimal psychology, I theorized that there ought to be among non-immigrant Africans and Americans, in America, Mm -hmm. someone coming from chattel enslavement, who comes to the knowledge of classical African civilization and the wisdom tradition of African deep thought without the benefit of normal cultural carryover, but comes to it by going within the spirit realm and bringing forth these truths. Now I'm theorizing this is the case because if my fear is correct, we ought to be able to see that, right? Well, I'm in the community giving a lecture, and there's a little woman sitting in the back. And after she comes up to me, she says, Oh, Dr. James Myers, what you teach is what our, our prophet teaches. I said, Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he teaches optimal psychology. I said, Hallelujah. Long <laughs> story short, I go to her church and learn of this prophet Hurley who actually goes into trance and is given the vision to instill the Ethiopian spirit in the children and comes up with a series of beliefs and teaching that came straight out of the wisdom tradition of African people. That to me was such a powerful confirmation. Wow. And so I study with this these people because I want to know, they call him Prophet Hurl, I want to know what he's teaching. And he's teaching what I <laughs> was teaching. And... Um, so Hurley wanted to start a school of mediumship and psychology, but the minds, this is 1923, the mindset of the people wasn't such that they really could think about school of mediumship and psychology, so he started church. But the purpose of the church was this school of mediumship and psychology. Long story short, as I'm studying with them, um, and working with uh, this woman who who eventually becomes a spiritual leader of the church, I, I say, um, Princess Childs, I don't believe in organized religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she says, oh, that's okay. <laughs> because Shirley wanted a school of religion, of spirituality and psychology anyway, so that's fine. Over time and studying with them, she said, Linda, you have a better understanding of Hurley's teachings than a lot of people who grew up in this church. I want you to start writing our meditations, our meditation. Uh, they had little meditations books they gave out of quarterly. And I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do that. So I started writing their meditations and did that for a long time. It happened that one of um, my students uh, from the University of Massachusetts came to my estate to work with me around optimal psychology. So she was aware I was writing these meditations. She said, Dr. James Myers, you need to write these and make it available for everybody, not just this religious group. I said, okay. So that <laughs> becomes the basis for blessed assurance. It's a compilation of meditations that I wrote or that were given to me. Maybe it's more appropriate. <laughs> Because I've never written any, I'm a slow writer. These just, I just. So um, if you get the book and, and, and study the meditations, um, you'll probably feel the power of the force that was coming through me. And I deliberately give a biblical scripture because most Black people are Christian in their uh, orientation and education. Uh, so I give a biblical scripture, I give a meditation, and then a, a kind of a closing summary thought. And you know, people have found it to be very helpful, very powerful. But it is designed to facilitate
0: spiritual development. Thanks, and I found it to be very powerful. Also, I um, I got it from you when I bumped into you at one of the conventions, and um, it was a very great experience. Just hearing the wisdom from you. And once again, I appreciate the wisdom that you've given today. Do you have any general advice that you would give for young psychologists in training who are aspiring to follow in your footsteps or learn or have an impact?
2: I would just say follow that spirit within you you and trust it Powerful and develop the ability to hear that little voice that says, say this, go there, do that and try to do it and you'll never be led wrong. Be mindful so that you don't get to the place where your ego's driving you. Let spirit be the driver. I would say, um, be of good courage, because the reality is you're back here at this time, choosing psychology and choosing to help your community because you've been assigned and you have accepted the assignment. And so you can afford to be fearless, be fearless. Be of good courage, build the community You know, reach out to me and others who, you know, are also on the same path. We're at a juncture in human civilization where we could go either way. They they have actually pushed us to the precipice with that fragmented view. And so we're at a crossroads as we know, America's at a crossroads. Are we going to choose right or wrong? You know, the West doesn't like to even think in terms of right and wrong. They don't even know right from (laughs) wrong. In psychology, Mm. we know. They thought when we, as enslaved Africans, tried to run away, we were mentally ill. Mm. Please, do not listen. (laughs) Mm. We have to think for ourselves, and then we'll create that which we think. So I just say, be of good courage. Um, Zola up, as we say, Mm. love one another. Tap into that creative energy of peace and tranquility and productivity. Reach out, don't try to do this alone. There's no reason to. Call on your spirit forces and your loved ones and really delve into what the practices are that can support and sustain you. And uh, know that all around you at all times, I used to say this to my children,
0: even though you don't see me, I'm always there. Wow. Well, I certainly appreciate your wisdom and I admire your humility and I'm blessed to have had the opportunity to talk with you once again. So thank you for that.
2: Oh, you're most welcome. I'm honored. And
0: I hope that we cross paths again sometime.
2: Oh, no doubt. (laughs) We will.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Dr. Linda James Myers.
2: And thank you
1: peace all and right
0: peace. peace and blessings
1: much love